0: Uh, so guys, we're going to get into, like I said before, John chapter 16 today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 16, and we're going to begin at verse 4 today. So and if, if you're here and you don't have a Bible with you, um, we have the Black Pew Bibles right there in front of you. Uh, we'd encourage you to grab that and follow, follow along with us as we work through uh, this passage together. Uh, you can turn to page 902, and then you'll, you'll, find, uh, you'll find the passage that we're going to be reading together as well. Uh, we believe here at Grace that the Bible is, is important, that the Bible is God's word, and we don't want you just to take our word for, for that and for the teaching here. We want you to be able to follow along, to take notes, as I already said earlier, but we, we'd love for you to follow along with us here this morning. Um, so today is a kind of a big day in, in the elite household. Uh, I'm going to do something this afternoon I have never, ever done before. It's a big step. So this afternoon, after church, we're going to go home and grab a bite to eat, and uh, me and my daughters, Madison and McKenna, are going to get all dressed up, and we're going to, I'm going to take them to a father-daughter dance this afternoon. Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. Ter- I am terrified. I, I'm not a dancer. Uh, I've been practicing some moves just to try to get ready for this thing, but it'll be fun. I'm not going to do it here. I don't want to embarrass you guys, because I am such an awesome dancer, but, uh, but no, it'll be good. Um, but I, I, I am a researcher. This is what I, I, I do, and so I was part of a couple blogs online, and so I just you know, researched father-daughter dances, and most comments from dads who have gone before say this is normally what happens, especially if you have younger girls. Uh, you're going to go in, find your spot. Uh, you're going to do some dancing, but then sooner or later, your girls, my girls, and any daughters are going to realize that, that their friends are there, so what happens is they end up dancing with their friends, and the dads all kind of end up sitting at, at like a table together. And these are dads that I don't know, um, and I am a natural introvert. And so these, these, uh, these situations give me super anxiety of, of trying to sit with a table of guys I have no idea about. And so because, I, because I'm introverted, and I see some giggles because I hear this is, this, so some of you are, are on my side as well. So what I do is I prepare a list of questions. I do, I do this anywhere. Anytime I meet, I know I'm going to meet new people. I have a list of about 10 questions in my mind just to so hopefully that, that one of them will take and I'll be able to actually have a conversation with someone that I am actually terrified of doing. So I have this list in my mind. And so I'm going to, you know, things like, you know, how long have you been here, here in the area? What's your favorite sports teams, everything? How many kids do you have? But sooner or later... Whether you like it or not, guys always ask this one question. What do you do for a living? You know, you know what I'm talking about. And it's I'm not some people are like, well, that's the work doesn't identify you as a person. I understand that, and I'm totally work is part of our lives, it's not all of our lives, but that question always always comes up. And the thing I've noticed, and I'm not sure if you folks have noticed this too, over the last few years, job titles have changed. And it, it's super confusing now. I mean, you normally, you know, back in my day, I'm only 34, but back in my day, if you worked, you know, if you worked in a bakery, you were called a what? A baker. Now, like, you're called, whatever, croissant engineer, whatever it may be. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, if you worked at, like, a deli, you were, you know, you were a sandwich maker. Now you're a sandwich artist and all these things. And so I thought, I thought it may be fun to get things kicked off today. I I found a list of other interesting job titles. And so what we're going to do, we're going to work through these together as a group, and we're going to see if we can nail down what these people actually do. So we're going to start off easily. Waste removal engineer is what? Garbage man, awesome, trash guy, good, good. We're on the same page. This one, knowledge navigator. A teacher, all right, solid. This next one is awesome. I would love to be this a financial ninja. An accountant. I heard it over here. Yeah, an accountant. I want to be a financial ninja. This next one, a destination counselor. Travel agent. Have you had these conversations too with these people? But this this next one, it's kind of hard. A Holy Spirit. What exactly does he do? It's a lot. And so when it comes to the Holy Spirit, a lot has, a lot has been written on it. Um, a lot has been, you know, books have been written. E- even within these last couple chapters that we've been working through as Jesus has his final conversation with his disciples, he's mentioned the Holy Spirit. He's mentioned him as what? The helper, the advocate, the counselor. they are names that describe him and his role but it's really hard to nail down what exactly he does. And this is not by any means going to be a, um, an in-depth and exhaustive study on the Holy Spirit. But, but Jesus is recognizing something. He's, he's, he's recognizing that as he continues to tell his disciples that he's leaving. Remember he said, listen, I'm leaving and in a little bit you're not going to see me anymore. And then he said, I'm going to depart, I'm going to the Father. And last week we talked about, we talked about what? He said, Listen, not only am I leaving, but all the persecution that's becoming my way is now going to be focused on you. So can you imagine as a disciple what that must have felt like? But then, but Jesus, in all of that, he wants to give some encouragement, he wants to give more. Direction. He wants to fill them in on what exactly the Holy Spirit is going to do. And, and this morning, I'm going to focus on two things. Jesus focuses on two things that the Holy Spirit does, and it simply is this. He said, the Holy Spirit convicts those who need God and cultivates growth in those who know him. The Holy Spirit, one, two of his jobs, not his only jobs, but two, uh, two, two jobs that will, that will help out in their ministry... When Jesus is gone and they have to really lead and establish the church from this point, the two things that Jesus reminds them of is, listen, that the Holy Spirit is going to convict, is going to work on people's hearts, those who need to believe God and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is going to take a part in that. And secondly, as as the disciples look at themselves and as the disciples think, man, I am no way cut out for this Ministry. I'm no way cut out to lead people to Jesus, to, to lead churches, to, to as we're going to see, to write, to write the New Testament. But Jesus reminds them and really instructs them that the Holy Spirit is going to be there to help you grow along the way. And so church, my desire this morning is, is for this passage to be an encouragement to you. Last week was heavy. Last week, talking about expecting persecution and everything that comes along with that, um, was a really heavy, heavy, heavier topic. Um, this week, I, I want this portion. I think Jesus really intended this portion to be more of an, more of an encouragement. To realize that we're not alone. To realize that the Holy Spirit is working and is doing things, and we can rely on Him. So, church, before before we get into John chapter 16 today. Why don't we just stop and, again, ask God to, to, to work on our hearts this morning. Uh, Father, God, we love you so much. And God, thank you, Lord, that you are, that you know what we're going through. And not only do, do you have knowledge of our lives, Lord, and the things that we experience, Father, but you want the absolute best for us, God. And sometimes the absolute best means you leaving, it means you going away, but then also means sending someone else in your place to help in our own spiritual walk and help us to accomplish, God, the things that you want us to accomplish and that you have called us to, God, as a church and as individuals, Father. So today as we look into this passage in John 16, um, God, I ask you, Lord, that our hearts would, would cling to the truth that, that we're going to find here. I pray, God, that you would give us courage that you would bring conviction, Lord, where conviction is needed, God. And I pray at the end of all of this that we would see two things, God, that we'd see your great love for us, but that you would, that we would also see our great need for you as well. So, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would bless our time in your word today. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So, church, hopefully by this time you're on, you're at John chapter 16 and page 902, if you're using the, the Pew Bible we're just gonna get, get right into it. And Jesus, as he continues his conversation with the disciples, he the first point, the first thing that he really brings out is that the coming of the Holy Spirit is for our benefit. The coming of the Holy Spirit is for our benefit. Look with me if you would in John chapter 16. We're gonna kind of begin halfway through through verse four there. So so Jesus is speaking with his with his uh, followers here, and he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning. Because I was with you. There are certain things Jesus had been with them at this point for three years. Jesus and his disciples had spent day in and day out together. But Jesus recognized that if he would have laid all of this on them on the first day, they would have walked away. They couldn't, they couldn't handle it. They, couldn't be, they wouldn't be able to, to process everything that Jesus had for them. And I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this, but, but I look back even, even on my own life. And if I would have known 10 years ago where God has me now, I would have never taken that first step. When I, when I think about it, in, in a good way, when I think about Melanie and I and Jackson was like seven months old. And we were praying through the decision of moving up here to NEPA. And praying through God, what exactly do you have for our lives? If he would have told me where I'm at now, I would have been scared to death. And I love you guys. It's not like I was like, man, if I would have, you know, gone back and be like, man, if I'm going to be one of the pastors at Grace Bible, I can't, I'm not doing that. It's not that, but just the, the feeling of I could never accomplish those things. I could never be a part of that. So Jesus is saying, listen, as they, as the disciples have grown, he has told them more and more about what he expects them to do, but with, within the hour, within the few hours, Jesus would be arrested. And by, by the next day, Jesus would, would be crucified on a Roman cross. This is it. So Jesus is saying, listen, I didn't tell you this from the beginning, but this is really, really important now. And so again, in, in verse 5, it says, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? You may think about this, because they had asked him where he was going. John thirteen thirty six one of his disciples asked him, Jesus, where are you going? John chapter 14, the same thing. Jesus, where are you going? So it wasn't that Jesus isn't saying here that, hey, you've never asked me about this because they have. But the ask there is in the present tense. It really, it means as of this moment, you're not asking me that anymore. Because at that time, they're beginning to process and realize that Jesus is going to leave them. And instead of, focusing on where Jesus was going and being happy for Jesus because he's going back to the Father, what exactly are they doing? They're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about the loss that they're going to experience. They're thinking about the persecution that is going to come because Jesus wasn't there to take the brunt of it anymore. They're having doubts and worries and wondering, is, was, this, was, was the last three years of my life just a waste of time because Jesus, who we thought was going to be crowned king just a week earlier during the triumphal entry, is now saying that he is going to depart from them and, and die on a Roman cross. It doesn't make sense. And the one thing that I, the kind of connection here in my mind when I first came up here when I, when I first started serving at the Olive Garden, it was like seven years ago now, um, I, I would always work on, on Saturday nights, and you guys have been out to restaurants. Saturday nights are absolutely insane and I remember it began Friday night. I began to have like panic attacks, like anxiety over what is Saturday night going going to do to me, who is going to complain? When, like when, when is the kitchen go, going to crash when all of these happen? And, and I found myself on Saturday not being able to process or have normal conversations with my wife or with my kids because all I could think about was, was, was what is going to happen within these five hours on Saturday nights. So the same way the disciples, instead of honing in on Jesus and asking those questions, Jesus, where exactly are you going and really focusing on him, they're focusing on their own problems, on their own loss, on their own worries and and anxieties. And and Jesus caught on to that and and he he knew that. Verse 6 it says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts." Jesus is sympathetic to those feelings of worry. Church, I think for far too long we have preached messages or we have this 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 thinking about about suffering and worry and, and anxiety and, and this teaching has come across that listen you're a you're a believer there's nothing to worry about and, and if you are worrying you should you should question your salvation or something is definitely wrong with you. But Church Jesus is sympathetic to where they to where they are at. He understands, he sees their worries, he sees sees their their doubts. He can see it on their faces, he can hear it in the way that they speak. But instead of Jesus blasting them for worry, he goes a step further and says, listen, this is for your good. And and look with me in verse 7. It says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So, what exactly is the benefit here? He says, if I stay with you, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come. But if I go away, if I go to the cross, and if if I if I die and and, and rise again from the dead three days later and ascend into heaven, that is for your good. And the more I thought about this, the more I, I'm in my mind thinking, no, Jesus, I'd rather just have you here. Can't you just stay? And I wonder if in the disciples' minds, they just said, can't we just have it like it is right now? Jesus, just stay. Just stay with me. Just just be with us, God. Do you really have to do this? Do we really have to go through this amount of pain and suffering? And Jesus says, yes, it's for your good. Because Jesus recognized two things. The first is that, again, unless Jesus left, the Holy Spirit wouldn't come. But the, the second thing, just briefly, is that Jesus knew that without his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, there would be no gospel. You, you understand the, the, the implications here, that if Jesus didn't die on the cross for our sins, rise again from the dead, and ascend into heaven, we would have no gospel. There would be no salvation. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus said, without him leaving, without him going to the cross, none of that would be made possible. Salvation wouldn't be purchased. The Holy Spirit wouldn't come. So he said, this is for your good. Church, I'm going to go go off my notes here, but the thing that the thing that stuck out to me about these these early verses is simply this idea that God can bring us through some super deep and dark moments within our lives. And God can lead us there. And and you question and you wonder, what exactly are you doing, God? Why why did you let this happen? But in this situation, and I feel like in many situations, God brings us through those moments of deep darkness and despair because he knows that something better is on the other side. And Jesus knew what was coming. He was instructing his disciples that it is better for me to go because he knew what was coming ahead. So then Jesus gets into, within the the rest of our passage here, he just begins to lay out what exactly the Holy Spirit is going to do. So I just want to spend some time again to break down these two things and then not only talk about what they mean, but how this how this should impact our lives even today. Because while Jesus was, was talking to his disciples, and that was a primary audience, and you always ask those questions: who exactly is Jesus talking to? But because we are followers of Jesus as well, these things impact our lives today, too. So I want to explain to you what, what these things are, and then we'll just have a conversation, a discussion about how these things should impact our lives today as well. But the first thing that Jesus brings out. In John 16, verses 8 through 11, is simply the Holy Spirit convicts those who need God. The Holy Spirit convicts those who need God. See, just think about this. Jesus knew that in just in less than, in, in 40 days from that moment, Jesus would be ascended in, into heaven and the, the apostles would have the ministry going forward. That's a scary, scary thought. But Jesus knew, hey, this is the first thing that, that you need here. We see it beginning in verse, we're just going to read verse 8. And it says, and when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So this is what he's going to do. That word convict means to, means to put forth, it means to expose sin. It means to present or expose facts to convince of the truth. What convict means is not, it's not forcing someone to believe something, but it's showing them proof that, that, they, may, that they may be wrong or guilty. <clears throat> and so often the word, the word convict also means not only showing them something, but then calling them to something. Part of, really, the beginning of the gospel the beginning of as we as we witness to people is doing what it's showing them the need for a savior as we're going to get to in just a little bit but it's then also calling them to do something about it and so Jesus says listen the first role of the holy spirit is going to be to the unbelieving world to those people who haven't yet accepted Christ as their lord and savior and said so the holy spirit is going to focus on first off those people that we are called to reach And again, last week in in, in chapter 15, verse 26 and 27, Jesus tells his disciples, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will bear witness about me. But then he says something else, but you also will bear witness about me. This is a tag team event. This is us working alongside with the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit doing all the work, not us doing all the work, but then working together for the good of the gospel to bring people to a point of salvation. and So then then Jesus breaks down what exactly the Holy Spirit is going to do. In verse 9, he says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. He said the first thing, the Holy Spirit will show the world their need for a Savior. The Holy Spirit will show the world their need for for the Savior. And notice here, something that I think is, is pretty important, the word, the word is sin, not sins. And I think there's a reason for that. You see, a lot of people think that what the Holy Spirit does is they create a long list of sins within, within a person's heart and mind to prove to them that they are a sinner. And a whole you know, evangelism uh, techniques are built around the fact of let's make people feel as bad as possible. And that's part of it. But listen, God's word, the law, and and, and their own conscience can tell people that they're sinners. You understand that? But the Holy Spirit, his work in an unbelieving heart is proving to them and showing them their own need for a Savior. That their sin, the greatest sin that someone can commit is what? Is rejecting Jesus Christ as Messiah. Folks, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but people do not go to hell because they're drunkards and moral adulterers. They go to hell because they have rejected the plan of salvation, the gift of eternal life. John chapter 8, verse 24. We're not going to turn there now, but it says exactly that. You can make a note of that, where Jesus goes back and says, Listen, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sins. There is a way out. There is a way out from the punishment of sin, and that is what believing in Jesus. But for those people that reject the plan of salvation, for those people who choose to believe in themselves or some other God or something else that they can do to accept, to, to build favor with God or think that they can be accepted by God, that sin of rejecting Jesus and turning to that is a major sin that the Holy Spirit is going to work on people's hearts about. I'm so glad we don't do this on our own, Amen. Church, it is a spirit who moves in the hearts of men as they hear the gospel. It is a spirit that shows them that they've been trusting in, in other things. and it's a spirit that moves their heart toward trusting in Jesus. As we can have the greatest speech abilities, we can build the greatest arguments. We can, we, can, we can destroy people in debates. Folks, at the end of the day, it's the Spirit that is going to show them their need for a Savior, not anything that we can do. We are called to present the message of the gospel in, in its fullness, which talks about sin. But when it comes down to it, the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that changes people's hearts. So church, not only does the Holy Spirit move to show people their need for a Savior, but the Holy Spirit also magnifies the righteousness of Christ. Look at me, if you would, in verse 10, where it says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Church, the Holy Spirit magnifies the righteousness of Christ, proven by the fact that after Jesus' death, what happened? Jesus, God raised him from the dead. See, you understand that that the Jews killed Jesus based upon the fact that they thought he was a blasphemer. that 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 he had sinned against God in such a way that he deserved to die for that. And while the world views, and even the world today, views Jesus as just an ordinary man with some crazy ideas, God views Jesus as the complete righteous son of God. And when he rose Jesus from the dead, he was putting his stamp of approval on Jesus' his own life and ministry. That church, when you think about heaven, the place where, where, God, where God abides, a place that is full of only righteousness and beauty and holiness, to accept Jesus back into his abode, back into heaven, the only way that he could do that is, is what? If Jesus was completely righteous. We, we use the, the, the verbiage all the time that God cannot allow sin into heaven, which is true. But when God allowed Jesus back into heaven and sat him at his right hand, he put a stamp of approval that this is the one that I accept. This is a this is complete standard and picture of righteousness and holiness. So what the Holy Spirit does here is, is I think it, it works two ways. First, it, it magnifies Jesus' righteousness. It, it shows the world that instead of trusting in yourself, you look to Jesus for righteousness. Um, scripture says that we are saved not on our own righteousness, but, but, but what? With the righteousness we received through faith in Christ. And we take on his righteousness, and we put his righteousness upon ourselves. Because I figured I'm going to use the steps because next week they're not going to be here. Um, so I figured I'd give it one more shot before I end up falling off the stage next week. Uh, but a lot of times when when it comes to the world's view of righteousness, it's something like this. You, have, you know, this top step would be, you know, God and his goodness and his, his righteousness and, and, and his perfect standard. You know, and down here you have, like, the most horrible human being you could ever imagine. You know, whatever name comes into your head right now is fine. You, you guys get the picture. But what happens is, is that, hey, as long as I'm not here, and as long as I'm somewhere up here recognizing that I'm never going to get all the way up here, but the world thinks as long as I try my best, as long as I try to get on the second, third, or maybe even fourth, wrong, if I'm super good And God's going to help me on that last rung without Jesus. But church, that's not what scripture says. And the Holy Spirit, what he does, he does one of two things. One is that he convicts the world of righteousness and shows people, magnifies the righteousness of Christ. Proven by the fact that he was risen from the grave. But then secondly, he also shows people that, listen, your righteousness on your own is not enough. And you you may be here this morning, and and those words may may hurt you just even to hear them. Because in your your own mind, in your own way of thinking, that you're trying your hardest, you're doing your best, you're you're a good person, God should accept you. And you're hoping on that. I want to tell you two things this morning. One, that Ephesians, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, says that our righteousness are as filthy rags before God. Even us on our best day are nowhere close to good enough. But two, Scripture also says that the righteousness that Christ has, we can have that as our own through faith in Jesus and what he has done. That instead of trying to trust in ourselves, instead of trying to do our very best and try our hardest, we can stop all of that and put our faith and trust in Jesus and turn to him and him alone for our salvation. And, 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 and scripture says that that day when that happens, we will have eternal life and we will take Jesus' righteousness upon ourselves. So when God looks at us and he's not seeing our sin, but he's seeing the righteousness of Jesus there. So the Holy Spirit not only shows people their need for a savior, but also magnifies the righteousness of Christ in saying this is how you can know for sure that you are a child of God, that your sins are forgiven, and that, and that you will have a home in heaven someday when you die. The third, thing, the, the, the third thing that the Holy Spirit does is that the Holy Spirit proclaims that justice that, and judgment is coming. We see that in, in verse 11 here. Or it says concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged has already been judged the the greek there is it's in its perfect sense is that it happened once and it continually happens satan has been judged at the cross of Jesus Christ and when he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death from that moment forward satan has and continually lives in a state of judgment knowing that it is going to happen so just like an, an inmate that is on death row and and, and he deserves to be there, and he's waiting for his day where he, where, where he will face justice. Satan is the very same way. In Revelation chapter 20, it says that, that God has prepared a lake of fire for Satan and all of his demons who have rebelled against God. And it's not easy to talk about. But Revelation 20 says also everyone who has rejected Jesus as their Lord and Savior will face that same judgment as well. Since God is holy and righteous, that God cannot allow sin into heaven, and God offers this free gift of eternal life, and he, and he loved you enough to send his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, in your place. But judgment is coming, and you may, you may think today, you know, I have all this time to, to make up my mind about this, whatever it may be, but the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart Now, May today be that day where you make that decision. You don't have to wait. You don't have to, you don't have to wonder. So you can, have, you can know today for sure that you have eternal life. And that's what the Holy Spirit's ministry is, is all about. So then you ask the question, so how does this impact our lives today? What exactly does this do? And I, I want to remind you of, of one thing here. And it says, listen, we are not called to do things only God can do. We're not. We're not called to do things that only God can do. And and church, listen, it is easy to get frustrated or feel pressure when when you present the gospel to someone and they they just reject it. Or over and over and over again, you have these talks, these discussions about the gospel, yet nothing seems to be clicking. Guys, I've been there. I've been part of that. I've been in that mindset. And it's easy to get down on ourselves and think, well, what exactly do I have to do? What answers do I have to have? Um, what, what kind of arguments do, do I need to construe? What kind of things do I have to do so that they see their need for a Savior? And the question is, yeah, we, we can study. And yes, it's good to kind of think, think through things and discuss. But at the end of the day, we are called simply to present the good news of the gospel. God is the one that's going to change their hearts. I remember growing up, I had a friend named Chuck. And um Chuck knew that I went to church and I had invited him a few times, like our youth group. And but every time I presented the gospel to him, he's like, I don't want to talk about that. That that's good for you, Dave, but it's, not, but it's not for me. And I continued to to pray. And I continued to say, All right, God, I'm continuing to look for opportunities. And one one day, like, at, at a summer camp, um, I, I wasn't having the conversation with him. Someone else was. And one day while we were away and doing, you know, fill, studying God's word together during that, during that week of camp, Chuck came to know the Lord. Part of me was like, I did all that work. <laughs> and I couldn't even have the conversation with him. But I, I was reminded um, something from someone within our life group um, the last couple weeks ago. I said, Sometimes salvation is like a light bulb, and you don't know how many times that bulb needs to turn before the light comes on. You may be the first turn, or you could be the last. But at the end of the day, we're not the one that, that turns that light bulb on, God is. So, church, if you're here today and you're feeling the pressure of, like, why won't my family member accept Christ? Or why won't my, my friend or my, or my neighbor even want to hear the gospel? Don't give up. Because you never know. You never know what God is going to, going to use or what God is going to do within that person's life. So you do what you are, what you know you, you should be doing. You, you be obedient to the things that you know you should be obedient to. You continue to live a good testimony before them. You continue to lift them up in prayer. You continue to, to encourage them to have these spiritual conversations, to invite them into church, to invite them with, with, in, into your small groups. Um, right now we have a couple, we have a couple examples of people that are just want to know more about Christianity, want to study the Bible together, and we're integrating them into, into our, our small groups. And so they're, they're beginning to see like what, what Christianity looks like on a daily basis. How would that impact the way that they live? And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So you keep doing what you know you, should, you are called to do, and you leave the rest up to God. And you take that weight that you've been carrying, and you hand that over and say, God, this is, this is on you now. Is he, he has the power to change hearts and we don't. So we've got to move on. Um, but the next thing, the next Jesus talks about again, listen, the Holy Spirit is there to convict the world of their need for Jesus. But the Holy Spirit also is there to cultivate growth in those who already know God. The Holy Spirit, they, he's got ministry to those who unbelieve, who, who, those, those who do not believe in Jesus, but also to those who do believe in Jesus. And in verses 12 through 15, I'm just going to read it through, and then I just want to make a couple points at first. But it says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, and all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and, and also give it to you as well, and speak it to you. Now, church, before we get into this, I want to, want to get asked the question, who exactly is Jesus talking to here? Because again, it is an important question to always ask as we study the Bible, but especially here. Because like those promises that, that Jesus gave to his disciples are pretty, pretty specific. I will lead you into all truth. I will tell you of things that are to come. Is Jesus saying here that every believer is going to know the future? I hope not. Because that, again, we talked about it before. That would be pretty scary. I'm done. I'm, I don't want to know everything that's going to come ahead. But Jesus here is speaking to the eleven. Disciples, And what exactly were, the, were those 11 men about to embark on after Jesus left and departed back, back to the Father? They were going to lead the church. Not only were they going to lead the church, but they were going to write the New Testament. And so Jesus knows what they're, what they're going to go through even though they don't. So this promise... That the Holy Spirit would lead the disciples into deeper truths about the person and work of Jesus and the future of the world. That the, this promise here, I think, is specifically to those disciples. Jesus has not called you to write any more books of the New Testament we believe that that scripture is complete, the canon is complete, the book of Revelation gives us what's going to happen in the end, and we win, so we do not need to add on to those things. So there are certain, there are certain principles and promises that are just to the apostles. They were, the Holy Spirit was going to lead them into the deeper truths about what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection meant. And he was going to lead them to, to actually to write about that. And we see that, in, we see that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, where it says, No prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Church, the, the Holy Spirit is going to help them write the New Testament, write, write out those letters. And I'm not sure if you, if you know this or not, if you've ever caught this, but every single New Testament book, every single epistle, and moving forward is all about working out how the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus should change the way that we live. And the Holy Spirit was leading these apostles to saying, hey, as you learn more about Jesus, take, take what you've learned and let, let's, let's apply that to our daily lives. A, a quick example, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's taking, taking the example, husbands, you love your wives in the same way that Jesus loved the church by dying for, for them. Everything is connected back to what Jesus has done. And so Jesus promised that, listen, the disciples, as you lead the church, as you show them how to live, the Holy Spirit was going to help them, help them do that. But I want to bring it down to so what does this mean for us today then? If these promises may not be for us, what exactly can can we look for at the, for the Holy Spirit? And it says. The work of the Spirit to the disciples was, was one of revelation. The work to us today is primarily illumination. What, what I mean by that, listen, Holy Spirit is not calling you to write more books of the Bible. But the Holy Spirit is going to work within your life to, better, to best understand and to apply the Word of God that we already have. As let's be honest. This is a hard book to understand sometimes. There are many things in there. I don't obviously understand everything about it. But I think there is power when we begin our time with God, and that's why we kind of do it here at Grace, is that we ask God, God, speak to us through your word that you've already given. But God, don't only do that, but give us courage to actually apply it then as well. So as we read scripture, it convicts us of sin. It shows us how to live and how Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection matter in our lives. The Holy Spirit uses God's word. Yes, he does. And so we must be in it as well. We cannot have it illuminated and explained to us unless we're in it, unless we are spending time in God's word each and every day. So church, we've kind of blown through this point. There's so much more that can be said on it. But when it comes down to it, this is my challenge for you today when it comes down. it. It says we can rely on the Spirit to convict us of sin, to dig deeper into the gospel and to actually give us the courage to change. Just as our gospel witness is not alone, the Holy Spirit is there to help, so also is our study of God's word and our own sanctification, our own changing, our own growing into who Christ wants us to be. We are not alone in that. We do our part. We spend time in God's word. We spend time in prayer. We're asking for him to show us things. But then the Holy Spirit does his part and illuminates those, those truths to say, hey, this is how this works out in your life. This is how the, the cross of Jesus looks like within your home. This is how your work ethic looks like within your job. And everything comes back and fo- uh, focuses on how Jesus lived and how we can then apply it to our lives then as well. Again, we are not alone in this, but the Holy Spirit is there to help us. As well in this endeavor too. So church as we just wrap up today. As I call the praise team forward. I want to remind you again of who we have in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts those who need God. And cultivates growth in those who know him. Let me encourage you this. Matthew finishes up his gospel. Matthew chapter 28. Just after he's given the great commission. And calls his disciples to to go out and teach the nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded him. He says this little phrase at the end, and I love it. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Guys, we're not in this alone. Those people that that we're called to reach, we're not doing it alone. Our Our own spiritual walks Where so many of us can feel isolated and and, and just individualized and have no hope in ever changing. Recognize, church, that you do not do that alone as well. The Holy Spirit is with you every single step of the way. So, church, why don't we stand and I just want to pray over you before we sing our last song today as well. Father God, God, thank you for the encouragement today. Lord, that your spirit, God, is with us in helping us share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. But then also, God, as those moments where we're alone and we're disgusted with our sin, and we we wonder, God, if there's any hope of change, God, your Holy Spirit is there to work on our hearts there then as well. So, God, I pray, Lord, that you would give hope and encouragement and comfort today, Lord, as you intended, God, for your disciples. God, I pray for our church. God, I ask, Lord, that you'd watch over our families God, I pray, Lord, for those people who do not, do not yet know you as Savior, God, within this valley. God, I pray, Lord, that you would put it on the hearts of our people, Lord, to share the good news of the gospel with them. That we would live, live out the gospel, not just share it, Lord, but we, that we would do both. And God, may we just become aware of what you're doing around us. God, may we be aware of your presence, Father, as we're just going to sing. And God, I ask you, Lord, that you would move and work in a way that only you can. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.